Welcome to Foundation and Podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Foundation on Apple TV+. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking Season 2, Episode 2, titled A Glimpse of Darkness. Uh, Aaron, what'd you think of this episode? Um, it's another good episode of Foundation. Uh, there's a couple things I'm not clear on, uh, and I'm not sure if that's because, because they haven't fully fleshed out the, the rules, the things I'm not clear on. In particular... I'm still not sure where they're going with the the way that the Gale and uh, Salvor can psychically project themselves forward and backwards in time. And if, like, are they telling me that one has the power to do one, one has the power to do the other? They both can do that, and they just haven't trained for it. But like, I'm I'm kind of still patchy on how that works. And uh, mm-hmm. um, but otherwise, and, and also I feel like um, I'm a little confused by the. Harry situation and his consciousness and how long he was imprisoned in the Raven uh, or uh, in, in the Prime Meridian no Prime Radiant <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> the Prime Meridian he's stuck in Greenwich meantime just it's a, the horror the horror uh, but otherwise yeah like uh, the show is um, I'm really into the Cleon stuff uh, the, the Empire stuff I think the Dominion Empire tense uh standoff is fascinating um, and the mystery about who hired the assassin i think is getting real interesting that now. was interesting because the way empire was talking the branches of empire last week is that she had engineered that catastrophe to put herself on the throne doesn't that's the not the opinion i got from uh, uh her this this episode um a lot of just long seeing... looks in this episode that I'm like, how am I supposed to read that? Because there are several ways I could look into that. And it's fascinating the way that the foundation is consciously morphing itself into a religion and how that seems to like, even though they know they're doing it as kind of like a bit uh-huh. that they're also can't help but quite get lost in the bit a bit. And I yeah, think that's yeah. that's really interesting, and you know tracks along with the stuff that the they do at the foundation in the book. So uh, I'm I'm a pretty happy camper in this uh, episode. What about you? Yeah, absolutely. All all the things you said uh, apply to my watches as well. And man, I'm I'm really enjoying the first two episodes of this. I I look forward to seeing the next one. I haven't seen ahead of this one, so mm. yeah, I'm going to be able to do all the theory crafting and stuff that I like to do about this show. Um. So, yeah, we'll we'll see. There's a lot of stuff that, even though I've read the first book, it's been a a couple of years now, you know, since I I read the first book about two months before the the show came out. Uh, So I'm starting to forget things, like this Hober Mallow that he's screaming at the end. Is this a character that was in number one, one one of the several dignitaries that Harden interacts with, or is this a character I don't know yet? Um, yeah. And I can't help you with that because I've read these books even longer ago than you have. Oh, I have yeah, read them all. Um, and I could say some things, but probably nothing helpful. So, <laughs> Well, I'm uh, excited to to not know, frankly. Who is Hober Mallow is certainly a mm-hmm. burning question on everyone's mind at the end of this episode. It's, burning, it's a burning question literally <laughs> on the vault. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely on the warden's burning mind. <laughs> yeah, you uh, uh, teach, uh, you give a warden a fish... He 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 eats for the night. He teach a warden a fish. He 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 eats the rest of his life, and he set and he set a warden on fire, and he'll be warm for the rest of his life. I think that's, uh-huh. uh, that's Harry's philosophy. Totally. Uh, yeah. So I feel like we should just get right into it, unless you got other stuff to talk about. 
Nah, let's uh, let's get into it. All things have a cycle. First the podcast, then the ad. Getting geared up for the 6th Annual Summer Badass Fest. And while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy, we've got an early action-packed announcement to make. Just like last year, we're kicking off Badass Season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints. Except, it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre. We're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was. And those of you who didn't, (laughs) now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim, order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar, then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved a venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com slash live. Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. The thrills of Kings Island just minutes away, and I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live. Math is never just numbers, and this isn't just a podcast. We're back with more Foundation. All right, we start off on Synax where, you know, the hurricane was coming from from last episode. Pick up right there. Uh, Harry, before he's going to help them, has a bone to pick with Gale um, for leaving him stranded for so long. And they kind of talk about this. And then Salvor's like, hey, you have to get us off this planet. Otherwise, your second Foundation is going to die on the vine. Um, so he fixes the engine, but there are some things he can't fix the one of the stabilizers is stuck open and uh salvor has to go out and clear it before they take off it's all barnacled up yeah i kind of like that detail all the the seaweed that's hanging off of it the the barnacles uh sucked onto the hole there yeah makes sense after 138 years honestly i don't know if they put enough barnacles on this thing That's what I was thinking, and also like watching Salvor punch those barnacles off, like, ooh boy, ah, yeah, her oof, fist. That, that, oh, yeah, it's just just going to be chunks of hamburger left after that. Because uh, I, I don't know if you've ever uh, fucked around with any piers in the water. Uh, those things are sharp as fuck, man. Mm-hmm. Hard, hard, oh, yeah. like like razor sharp clamshells. Uh, Harder than but, knuckle uh, skin. At least my knuckle skin. But did you? Were you? Because like I. I honestly can could not tell you what Harry exactly is going on about at the beginning of this episode um, because he's screaming okay. about 
What did you think would happen when we severed my conscience from the raven? Did you think I'd sleep like you slept in cryo sleep? And I'm like, because I thought Gail said in the last episode that I put him in the 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 you know the prime radiant the night before while you slept and we even talked about this last last week like is she referring poetically no to the long sleep that (laughs) salvor had done before she got there to wake her up is she referring to because like last night like i don't see if she transferred him last night i'm thinking that's a 24-hour period and then so are they implying that like a There's day in the prime radiance no. that's going so it's going so fast that like he's been in there forever. No, or... I figured this out because I was definitely confused the way you were, and I spent like well, twenty God. minutes going back and watching old parts of the episode and like looking at the details. And what he's talking about here is the time that he spent in the knife because she grabs the knife off the Raven as she's getting into her pod. And so he's conscious within the knife for within 130 knife. years. And then she puts okay. him into the prime radiant from the knife in that that night So he before. was already losing his mind when he got thrust into the prime. Yes. And the prime radiant or, you know, is the system so- that coached him through putting his mind back together a little bit or at least enough, right? I wonder if when we're seeing him screaming at himself in black and white, if that's him in the knife, and then when he wakes up into the giant conf- um, confusing 3D terrain, that's when he's been oh, it could uh, be. turned into the prime radiant. Why did she move him from the knife to the radiant in the first place? I don't know. Why not just huh. leave him in the knife? She's worried the knife's running out of battery. <laughs> sure. Okay. I couldn't tell you, so but, he, but that's the deal. So he did spend... Uh, a good long time from a human perspective trapped in some kind of mm. machine hell I have no mouth but I must scream type situation okay yeah. okay alone with his own thoughts and and you know that's a dangerous thing like he said last season uh, someone stuck in the vault for 50 years might go insane well how yeah. about in a knife for 138 yeah it's uh, it's a lot it's a lot Mm-hmm. Um, he also dropped this, which I don't think that we knew that Raish knew, according to Harry, everything. Okay. Yeah. Which is interesting because Raish is the one that kind of like, I get it. The, the, uh, it's, it seems like what the, the they're getting at is like no one accounted for Gail's psychic ability. Mm-hmm. So, you know she wasn't supposed to interfere with the uh, Harry Selden murder. Um, certainly wasn't supposed to interrupt and, and, and race just had to improvise. Yeah. Because like, you know, if you can blame anyone from fucking up the plan, I guess you could blame race for yeah. taking the plan and saying, Nope, forget it. I want my, uh, you know, sweetheart to survive. And that's that. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. He's definitely the most to blame. Uh, but you know, understandably. So, um, I liked that the Harry has this kind of throwaway comment where he realizes that Salvor's talking about the version of him that's on Terminus and he I guess for our benefit says oh that's the other one you don't know his mind he doesn't know yours is that for our benefit or is that supposed to make us ask questions because for a moment he thinks he is on Terminus is that just temporary insanity or is this some kind well, it's of like one of those things where two. like sometimes you see this like uh, they, they did this a bit with invincible last season where they had this super villain that's a clone 
of themselves um and when they wake up they're convinced that they are the original sure because like from their perspective they, they are kind they of. have a continuity I mean, of consciousness yeah. and it's like you know and they like they get like really pissed off if you suggest that they're not i wonder mm-hmm. if that's like like he wakes up and he makes it but like but, but he's, he's he could have been the guy in terminus because i think it's the same consciousness but my suspicion i mean i don't know they, they play this in science fiction a lot my sus- my suspicion is they're going to diverge pretty rapidly based on the experiences they're having especially one of them mm-hmm. staying conscious for 138 years losing a grip on reality and getting prime radiated yeah. um he's going to be a lot different than the character but it's also interesting that the vault opens up and fucking burns a dude just uh-huh. sets a motherfucker on fire like i don't know maybe that harry's had some hard times inside there too it could be could be or maybe he's really not a fan of this magician shit. Uh, yeah, we'll find out probably, hopefully next episode. Because um, that vault, you know, it's open, but it's, uh, well, we might not. It, you might need to find Hober Mallow, and that's going to be a whole journey, I imagine. So I don't think Harry's coming out until they get that Hober Mallow guy. I do think um, they, they this is kind of review, I, th- I believe, because didn't we have an inkling? I can't remember if this was something that was established last season, the, the, the second Foundation's purpose. Uh-huh. Uh, we know because they were heading to Star's End that they were going to, you know, that Harry's plan was to do a second Foundation, but I'm not sure if he, like, illuminated what that, but now we kind of can talk, because that's one of the big twists of the Foundation, that there is a super secret second Foundation of psycho historians that in clandestine you got the primary foundations a lightning rod that's going to take all the attention and you know their successes and failures uh, they're uh, they're going to need to be managed empire's going to be managed you have to have someone that can account for the slight um uncertainties within the psycho history so his idea mm-hmm. is a second foundation that knows everything but also is hidden from human view so they can't interfere with the psychohistory predictions putting its thumb like he says on the scale yeah guiding them sort of down the right path uh which i i mean this to me this opens up the uh, sort of nesting doll uh, like foundations all the way down sort of concept who yeah. who watches the watchers that kind of thing um yeah. if if power has that potential to corrupt and they're worried about with that with the first foundation. Why would they not be worried about that with the second, more powerful, in the grand scheme of things, foundation? That's a secret great question. Third foundation. Is there a secret third? Fa- yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's got a second foundation. Way, like if the first foundation is, uh, yeah, I can't. I actually, because like I keep forgetting that I've read this entire series, and even me making jokes might <laughs> oh, <laughs> might, no. might subtly be influenced by the stuff I know about. So never mind. There's a two foundations, as far as we know. And uh, the second foundation was to, to keep the first foundation from getting too big for its britches and to account for other types of drift that we see. We see the bright red inflection points that are way off course. Since mm-hmm. that never happened, we're now at a crisis point where the whole plan seems like it's hinged to be dashed to pieces. Mm-hmm. Oh, one other thing, character point, like huh? Gail gives Salvor a big hearty hug at the end of the scene. Yes. Like their their Excited relationship be is beginning it's not mother daughter but they're actually bonding uh-huh yep and we'll see more of that i presume uh so now we go over to savannah in the outer reach where a girl is out riding on a creature and she sees something and goes back and wakes up a drunk cleric and tells him 
I found a death threat in the form of a guy tied to a tree. Apparently he was killed by worshippers of the lightning god. And he says, well, they'll be coming after us later, so let's be prepared. Uh, this is a fantastic location. I'm always impressed when they, like, you know, uh, uh, in season four of The Expanse, where they can find a place on Earth that just looks like it's alien. And this didn't look CG. Maybe hats mm. off to the Foundation team if it is, but, like, they found the fucking alien landscape uh, to put this CGI monster on. Do you remember what these things are called? No. These are the Bishop's Claw that ah, threatened yes. the early colonists of ter- colonists of Terminus. Now they're writing them as Beast of Burden, mm-hmm. which is a cool showing like how utterly masters of their environment that they've become. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, the, I like this. I, I I instantly like these two characters. Me too. Um, there, there, there's a kind of a funny, subtle joke here where she's you know they're down at the lake or whatever drinking and Mm -hmm. she's scooping up water said let's bring some of this back for the cleric Mm -hmm. and then when she gets back she finds him passed out in a stupor and she dumps it on his head Mm -hmm. (laughs) i don't think that's how she meant to bring it back for him but it was pretty funny or it might have been that'd be funny that's like just kind of the routine um it seems like this is a a common occurrence that he's Yeah. yeah incapacitated yeah and we'll come to appreciate in this episode um, that this is Polly from last season, right? He this is the ten year old kid that was enamored of the uh, vault, and you know they had that competition. Where they try to get clo- as close as they can, and he succumbed to the null field. Salver had to go rescue him. Um, and they posit that he is the last living survivor from Foundation, the Foundation that remembers the last appearance of Harry Seldon. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was a that that was a really cool detail. And they do some um, world building here. They talk about how the Empire uprooted uh, from this planet and left these people with nothing. And now, you know, they have this lightning god uh, they worship because you can see in some of the establishing shots of the planet, just lightning storms constantly across yeah. the, the surface of this planet. Yeah, and it's, this is uh, it's cool to see, you know, we've heard about Empire receding and how they are withdrawing from the outer reaches of the galaxy, but now we see it that, like, yeah, the Empire is just pulling up stakes and rolling back. They're in full retreat. I do wonder why, because the outer reach has been dark. It's not like the outer reach has been pressing in, taking these planets. The Empire has just been pulling back, and I don't necessarily understand why the Empire is intentionally shrinking itself. If it's a it logistic takes, problem or yeah, if it, I think, there's I some think other threat. Right there. The the amount of logistics that's required to control area is direct is like probably inversely proportionate to the you know amount of area you're trying to control. <laughs> um so it's like it probably gets harder and harder. And so like if you are you know, feeling vulnerable, you're having attacks, people are trying to nibble away at your edges, the it's probably better to pull back and consolidate rather than just, you know, uh, be stretched so thin that you can't respond to anything. But it's it's just telling us that this is definitely an empire that's in decline, not just totally. genetically, but in terms of resources, in terms of military might. And I guess you got to remember back to, you know, season one, where there's a lot of people who don't like the rule of the empire. And it's not like there's some massive force that is threatening the empire. Um, it's just all these micro threats right these micro fissures in the empire are getting bigger because empire themselves are unable to get keep their shit tight you know 
Yeah, it's like a death from a thousand paper cuts type of deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and pretty significant too. Um, I was listening to the official podcast, and Goyer was talking about how it's gone from something like ten thousand planets to seven, six or seven thousand, which oh, is that's a significant, significant decline. Yeah, that's something that everybody would notice. Yeah, it wouldn't be, yeah. it wouldn't really be rumors. Almost, it would just be de, de facto like the empire is in decline. Look at it. But on the other hand, would the core of the empire know? Like they if, might not. If especially because we know from the first season that the empire controlled a hundred percent of the propaganda, like uh-huh. everything that went out in the news services was something empire directed controlled. So it could be that at the warm glowing heart of the empire around Trantor and in the galactic center that like, yep, a lot of maybe people are ignorant of how far empire has fallen, but clearly it's sure. not a complete mystery because that's dominions hitting her pretty hard with some facts. Yeah. Yeah. And she might be a lot more in the know than most people. Um, but yeah, this whole thing they're doing here with these magicians, I think is, kind of interesting I, I like the way it's reshaping the foundation but we'll get to a lot of that stuff later yeah uh Trantor Empire is admiring the paintings of the pre-Cleonic Empire uh Dimmerzel tells him that Dawn and Dusk had no memories of hiring the assassins but that's not necessarily a guarantee they didn't do it she's gonna continue looking into it and she also suggests uh someone who Empire pro- apparently hates uh Bel Rios he uh to I guess go after foundation to engage the foundation he reluctantly agrees um, and instructs her if he refuses this job kill him this is fascinating because you'll remember that foundation was based on uh, Asimov reimagining the fall, rise and fall of the Roman Empire that was kind of like uh, this, 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 this big uh, histography that that was popular at the time and you know if you know anything about roman history it's replete with generals that have loyalty to their legions and politicians you know leaning on those figures and it usually doesn't go mm-hmm. doesn't that doesn't always you know you got cincinnatus uh an example of uh a guy who did the thing and then gave up all of his powers and relinquished control but then you've also got guys like julius caesar cast and die and kicking ass and disbanding senates and so it's like it's it's interesting to see you know we got a weakened politician here uh with a general that says you know like the the elder dusk is saying oh he commands the loyalty of a lot of his fleets and you you just gotta wonder is that you know like is is this is not a decision that empire likes this is something that he feels like he's being forced in and like what are the repercussions going to be as this plays out yeah um i'm excited to see that that's one of the i guess uh paths of attack here on empire because mm-hmm. there's so many that i and specifically day um it, it's wild i guess how much he's changed and how much he's trying to change empire in his brief tenure but i guess that's his right as the he, active arm yeah the as the what did he calls himself the primary i forget the yeah, I can't uh, remember the term. The, the, they had a term of art for like you know mm-hmm. which the, the the main empire unit. Um, but I it, it, I like how they started where he's like looking at this painting from the like you said pre Cleonic dynasty and he's talking about how because in the first season empires are so grand and 
so mm. untouchable and and so magnificent. And here he's talking about this pre-Cleonic dynasty that was four thousand years ago and lasted for two thousand years, which is more than his empire has lasted mm-hmm. so far, and it had four times the area and oversaw a blossoming of science and culture. And you can clearly see that he's thinking, I'm over a declining empire, which is not flourishing for shit. And what does that say about me? What does that say about us? Mm -hmm. You know, the capital U. Uh, But also, he's super fucking arrogant and ego-driven. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm still definitely unconvinced that this is a good idea um i I know your empire is crumbling and you're taking a big swing here but is this the right swing to take i don't know i don't know probably not but we'll see the other thing i noticed in this scene is the very end of it after day has walked out of the room dimmerzel takes a long hard look at this empress and i read a lot of meaning into that i'm wondering if I, I, there's two ways you can go with this, right? If you go with the righteous, uh, just wants to protect the empire, Dibberzel, you could say she's worried about the return to this, you know, this pre-Cleonic empire. Um, how can she avoid it? All that stuff. Or she could be looking at this thing saying, I see a lot in common with myself in this empress. Boy, it would be cool to be empress one day. Hmm. Think there's anything to that? I think yes. I was more. Um, I, is this I'm, worry I, or ambition <laughs> in her eyes here, or is it like an opportunity? She's like, you know, I've I've taken this Cleon thing because, like, we you know we've had this theory that like Dimmerzel is the true thing that maintains the Empire, mm-hmm. but we also know Dimmerzel's been around a hell of a lot to- longer than even this Empress. Um, so the question is, like, how long has she been enmeshed within the inner workings of the Galactic Empire? And yeah. is she thinking, is this a fork in the road? Where it's like, well, I've ridden this Klingon <laughs> uh, literally in the, mm-hmm. in the in recent times. I've ridden this Klingon horse as long as I can. Maybe it's time to do a different tack and I need to start supporting something different. Or is she thinking, I've got to put a stop to this? And I'm genuinely curious yeah. to see, you know, are we... Uh, are, are we starting to see the ends of the Cleonic dynasty and by the end of the season it's going to be done and we're going to have something else that's replaced it or chaos or um, I, I don't I don't know I don't know but there's you're you're right she is definitely thinking big thoughts at the end of the scene oh yeah um, and there are a couple other times where she gives some ominous looks but we'll talk about those uh, so the Cleons discuss Bel Rios as they practice their intricate synchronization of eating as if they were a single person in prep for a meal with Day's wife-to-be, Queen Sarath. Uh, Day gets annoyed and then storms off. He hates this stuff. Um, it's funny because they, they throw out this the this uh, organ, which I thought was just some made up science fiction foundation term. Do you know that's a real li- that's a real it's not. Uh, scientific term? No. What is it? A centimorgan is a unit of measure for the frequency of genetic recombination. One centimorgan is equal to a one percent chance that two markers on a chromosome will become separated from one another due to a recombination event during meiosis, which occurs during the formation of the egg and sperm cells. On average, one centimorgan corresponds to roughly 100 million 
or one million base pairs in the human genome. So it's kind of like uh, a way that you could measure genetic drift or like how far apart uh, probability of genetic drift maybe yeah that a chromosomes become separated and didn't recombine correctly um, and it might I'm not sure if this is being used correctly or if they've repurposed it 10,000 years into the future because it kind of the way they used it, it felt like Han talking about running the Kessel, Kessel. run and uh-huh. so many parsecs and it's like is that a um, but 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 again I don't but I just thought it was really cool that they're actually using a real term that measures some kind of genetic admiralities. And they're talking about he's off by three centimorgans. And apparently they've repaired that DNA. But Mm -hmm. the effortless coordination that they used to have and the snapping of the napkins and the taking drinks and like they're still doing it. But the effort it's requiring is so much more than it used to be. They got a whole body coach that's Mm -hmm. like looking and making sure they're doing everything the Cleon way. Um and you can tell this is really grinding day's gears. Yeah, it's this and the needling uh, about the marriage and stuff, <laughs> about him yeah. changing the empire, right? But but even at a base level, it used to be effortless. Like, it didn't oh, feel like yeah. I'm trying to pretend to be someone. I was that person. And you can mm-hmm. tell that, like, it is starting to get the day that, like, I'm putting forward this enormous amount of effort to pretend to be someone else that I'm not. And I just want I, I want off. Yeah, that's the thing. It used to be all on day or all on dawn, rather. Um the newbie right like he's got to learn to be like us because we've already learned all this stuff we already know we are that person uh now it's kind of day is the real aberration here day feels like uniquely drifted from this even though his dna has been repaired i was about to i was about to say that because you notice that like when day storms off like dawn and dusk are in perfect synchronization just the way they drop their head and they put their hands in their lap and Yeah, like he, yeah, last year it was dawn, this year, this time it's day. This season uh-huh. day is the is the weirdo. Um, yeah, uh, and that's that's dangerous because um, he has the power, you know? It's one what thing for dawn Dusk to do Because we've seen Dusk huff and puff a lot, and they do uh-huh. have a certain amount of power, but like at the end of the day, we've never actually tested you know like dimmerzel has been the one that's like solved uh, a big dispute between day and dusk but like yeah what <laughs> what powers does dusk and dawn have to like gain say what day wants to do especially Officially, if he wants I don't to think any. and and like especially if day's doing something like hey i'm going to end the dynasty this is it this uh-huh. is it it's going to be me i'm the last one uh fuck you da- dusk especially fuck you dawn <laughs> yeah cuz Dusk, you've had all this power before. Right. You're on your way all out you, anyway. All Dawn, you got to look forward up. to is the disintegration chamber, you know? Right, like, right. <laughs> and you're yeah, Dawn's never do. going to get it. No, no. Which makes me think, you know, Dawn has the most incentive, I, I would think, to hire the assassins, but there's no telling whether it's him, someone we've met, someone we haven't met. Uh, yeah. Still a lot they, of seasons to go. So. And we've never seen it. Have we ever seen a highly competent Don? Because I think that's what we're getting this season. Like, this guy seems like he's a student of history. And he's, you know, because he tries to flash out this, like, oh, you know, I was reading and I found out this other time where we had a charismatic uh, general and it caused problems for this. And, like, Dave's just not having it. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I thought Don seemed pretty well-read and thoughtful. And, uh, yeah. and he, like I said, Dave's the problem bottom line for sure 
So we go back to Salvor, who asks Gail why she refused to start the Second Foundation, and she tells her all about Raish. Uh, then Harry comes in and tells them about the purpose of the Second Foundation, which is to keep the First Foundation in line while guiding the galaxy to its Dark Age soft landing. Gail tells Harry about her visions, which she thinks are her future memories. They're 150 years in the future, and Harry thinks she should try and go into them to find a new path forward. Or I guess a path back onto the real path. Yeah, this is where, like, I just have to go with what the show's telling me because I don't exactly, uh-huh. you know, this is, I've never seen stuff like this in science fiction before. It's pretty, like, I, I kind of fantasy based. Yeah, I definitely kind of, it's not even fantasy because, like, in Star Trek, they have telepaths and, you know, uh-huh. people have some kind of clairvoyant powers. And it's always explained, it's not like magic, it's just something that we don't, you know, it's right. something about subspace vibrations and, and the fifth dimensional points of view that we just can't quite comprehend as, as humans yet. Uh, and mm-hmm. I, that's one of these situations where it's like, I think what they're going is that like Gail and Salver are going to realize that their powers are one and the same. And Gail is going to be able to project forward as, uh, and backwards. And they're both going to be able to do this and, and, and develop this, this power. But, um, yeah, I I, I I don't want to say too much because, again, yeah. I have read the whole series and I don't have the particulars, but I do have the broad strokes. And I'm trying to squint and see how they're trying to smooth some of the transitions because, you know, Asimov wrote this all kind of serialized and he was, you know, making it up a lot as it goes. And it, it, it changes quite a bit from the beginning to the end. So um, mm-hmm. it could be that they're trying to, to, to smooth over some of the stuff. But. Yeah, apparently, um, I mean, some of the stuff makes sense, like, you know, Gail or uh, Salver can bring her back, and she knows this because Hugo used to be able to call to her and bring her out of her, you know, delving into her memories and her future past. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, like, uh, I, I, I'm just going, I'm just go, I'm just going with the show at this point. Yeah, conceptually, I'm much more interested in the second foundation and their purpose. Um yeah. And and how, you know, Harry has thought that that will go versus how it definitely could go. Um, I don't know. It, it seems like a concept that is doomed to fail on the face of it. If if it, just applying the same logic to the second foundation as you would the first foundation says that the second foundation needs a third and on and on and on. So... We'll, we'll to see, see the full plan and and we still don't um mm-hmm. but it's like i remember like when i was reading this as a much younger man like just how cool the the first book a book or two are where it's like there's so many plans and counter plans and yeah uh but yeah like i also really like it's a fun part where you know salver starts to object it's like you don't know the foundation they're great people and they would never do turn into the empire and he just looks and says everyone that you knew and the foundation is dead. Yep. Which isn't actually sp- strictly true. Uh-huh. We find out with Polly. Very close but, to true. Yeah. But is that, so that's the thing is like, sometimes the show it's like, did they, is this like, um, did Harry like misspeak or is this, uh, or is this a deliberate thing that the show's doing to show that like even Harry, his conscious doesn't know everything. And this is something yeah. that we should, because like, yeah, he accomplished that everyone that you knew is dead. That's not Strictly speaking, true. Polly's still kicking. Uh-huh. So, like, if he's wrong about that thing that he surmises, what other things can he be wrong about? Um, especially because it's an assumption. 
right? Based yeah. on reasonable probability, Reason- I mean, everyone should probably be dead in 138 years, right? Yeah, but- even with the modern medicine and whatever, like that kind of gives us, uh, you know, an idea of the lifespans we're talking about today. But, but yeah. yeah. So if that's not 100% reliable, how much of the path is 100% reliable? Yeah, agreed. Uh-oh, our dynastic empire is experiencing some genetic drift. We'll be right back. The algorithm says this podcast will continue. Welcome back to Foundation. Okay, then we go back to Empire, where the meal with Queen Sarath begins. She asks some very probing questions about cloning and the dynasty, and then she asked to actually see the clones and day escorts are there. I'm going to stop here for a second because there, there's a lot going on in this scene. She's... Boy, uh, I could not relate more with Rue who says, you know, jokingly, but I think very pointedly, if she's not careful, she'll talk herself out of this marriage. Like, shut the hell up. What are you doing? You know, this is not how you behave in front of the person we're trying to impress here. Uh... And I'm actually still not certain why Day is not a little more dismayed by everything going on here. <sighs> is he just I know dumb? he wants this. I I know this is like his life's mission. But yeah, he seems a little He seems or he, just needs he seems, this to he work. seems arrogant. He seems like he in this scene he's being offended left and right. But he never wants to admit that he's offended. He wants to act like he expects this, like he has, you know, uh, accounted for all of it and that nothing here is out of the ordinary and she can't possibly flap him. Yeah, he's trying to uh, go through the motions of being the old empire where, like, we were so grand and magnificent that we don't even notice the slings and arrows and the bites of the gnats. We don't even care. Like, he's trying Mm -hmm. to... You know, even though he's lost 20, 30, 40% of his territory and she's letting on that she knows more and more and more about and even saying she knows she's heard of the rumors of the genetic dynasty and, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and then the scene where she goes to the Principium with him is even more interesting. That there's there's elements of her testing her boundaries here with yeah. There There's elements of her testing her leverage, seeing seeing just how much she has in this situation and day just handing her all of this information with his reactions it's a really well-written scene i I love this stuff and her probing too like oh dimmerzel she's not dining with us uh of course uh she must have you know she must have some uh, chamber of dimmerzels too Uh, else how would you explain and and like cleon's oh yeah she's got other arrangements she's like that she gives me the impression that she knows she's like a good lawyer she's not going to ask a question she doesn't know the answer to already yeah. so like when she's answering these questions i think that dominion is very well informed mm-hmm. and you got to understand it's like now to the point it's like why is dominion here why did dominion accept this offer from the imp like what is she and if she's already this cheeky about like you know thumbing her nose at empire like uh-huh. when they actually start negotiating a sharing of power it seems like she's in a position to rest some real uh concessions from him absolutely yeah and i think this is her establishing the balance of power between them prior to agreeing to anything because 
she's pushing boundaries so far that I don't know that empire this empire is equipped to claw them back later. And there's also a lot of things like you know we talked about the mystery of like who killed her family and she talks about they're talking about having children it's like yeah I suppose and, and if that's a more sure line of succession than what he's got with the Princetorium and she's like suppose with enough children even an uplink crash wouldn't disrupt the line and then Empire gets real quiet and she yeah. mentions that my sister was trained to be a stateswoman and a mm-hmm. diplomat and you know an economic and my brother was a military genius who led our expeditionary fleets and and I you know I was so unimportant I was just allowed to be a Liberty gibbet I was just a you know a dilettante and it's interesting so like does this make it like like where where are you at on whether on on whether she engineered this death in her family is she the dilettante is she the ingenue that organized and and is behind Hmm. all of this manipulated this or is she saying to us as the audience that i shouldn't be the empress i shouldn't be dominion but i am and it's dangerous to underestimate me interesting because this loss has made me cautious (laughs) uh uh-huh i hadn't considered that um i think that's definitely a possibility i i she seems like you said much more well informed and much more adept at this than just I don't know I mean she's a socialite she probably reads people well she probably knows where she can you know push and where she can't and I think there's a lot of skill that comes with being who she has been that would transfer pretty well to this scenario and she's fearless and it works whether you believe that she killed her entire family to take power or mm-hmm. that she's had everything taken from her and she has nothing less to lose. She's either wildly ambitious or, um, you, you know, or, or like single minded in like a re- some kind of revenge plot or some kind of like, you know, is she is she essentially uh, like Prince Oberon from Game of Thrones where I, I'm just here to find out who murdered my sister and her kids and kill those and then I can fuck off and go back to where or is she yeah, maybe. more like a Tywin where it's like I actually killed all the kids and I've, <laughs> <laughs> I want to make sure I'm the one on the throne like I um, it, yeah I mean that that's certainly interesting I think the other thing that's happening here um, is you know Cleon has just said well we can assure we can have a certain amount of assurity by just having a lot of children. And then she points out that she was one of three children. Now she's one of one children. That's not nearly as stable as you might think it is, you know, just having a bunch of children. But in the same breath, she's also describing the Cleonic dynasty, I think. There are three of them. Uh, yeah. It, and granted, they have clone backups, but they're, right. what she's saying is there is no real amount of assurity that you can have you shouldn't be so secure in the idea that you can just be cloning yourself because i mean you take a bomb to that principian you take a bomb to the three brothers and that's it i like how you know? she also the the phrase assassination by procreation uh-huh you know, like like uh, she's going to like this marriage can do what so many people have, you know, that uh, have tried and could not, which is destroy the Cleonic dynasty. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Like, and as specifically, sure Don, the Principatorium is. We, you know, we talked a little bit about Don, and specifically Don, and I can't help but notice in this scene she's really leaning into Don. She's, you know, put putting her hand on his arm. 
she is paying a lot of close attention to Dawn. And I don't know if that is her trying to figure out, you know, the assassination attempt. Was it Dawn? Can I can I glean something here in this meal? Or, or if she, she maybe doesn't have off. aspirations to be with Day, but she wants Dawn and they can together. Interesting. Rule? Because that would be a much longer rule. I, I don't know. Yeah, I I got it uh, when I when I was watching this. I I got from that that she was noticing, you know, because she's she is she's like she's saying like, hey, well, how do you guys? How, you're you're the branches being lopped off that we're speaking of. How do you feel about it? How do you feel about it? And with Dawn maybe seeing, because I think they're closer to like their age. Yeah, like just feel sure. like you know, like uh, it seems like she's half Lee, Lee Pace's age, and she's um, a third child, so probably younger. Yeah. There's a lot like of of and in common. We've all when you, you know historically mm-hmm. when we look at the first season, Dawn's always the weak point. It seems like that's a common vector of attack. So, makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and then let's go down into the Principian here because this gets way more interesting. Uh, Dawn shows Sarath Cleon the first and his own backup clones, and explains how the whole process works. She tries to confirm that the rumors about the clone corruption are true, but Day doesn't exactly confirm it he doesn't say anything although the look on his face says shit she knows too much uh yeah. here's the other affront the, the one that she points out to him is an affront she quotes this poem at him that has been banned across the empire and is a crime to recite from and she recites it to his face and points out that i just committed a crime in front of you and, and what's what? funny is and and he doesn't even know like this is a law that he himself passed a Uh generation or two ago and he has no idea which kind of gives you an idea of like how and they they did this really rapid fire crackly dialogue where you know she says uh um you know like she asks uh, like uh will these assassins like tell me about this attack and he's like yeah we we put him down and there's a ruthless display of justice she goes do you think the assassins will be deterred and she goes, we at Dominion, we don't try to deter. We ask why there's unrest and then attack the root causes. And mm-hmm. he goes, well, your hand is a lot lighter in Dominion than we have in the Empire. She's like, well, a well-trimmed vessel requires a light hand. And he's like, Dominion is small, Scale, Empire shrinking. Man. They just go back and forth like uh-huh. that. And uh, she it ends up almost getting him to spill the beans about the genetic drift. And mm-hmm. she goes, well, that oh, would explain. Is Empire strong? Yeah, that would explain yeah. your interest in my unex- unexploited womb. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh it's yeah, it's no it's a it's a great it's a great scene. Absolutely. Yeah, the the dialogue is great. Um the setting is great. I really love going down into these clone chambers. And she's this very teasing cuz she's like are you expecting us to have intercourse and he's like, "Oh, well, you know, we've got the genetic scientist and I forgot the empire is sterile." genetically that they can't have children so there's a way that they can reverse that and they've already tested the genetics and they're very compatible and Mm. yeah they were testing the genetics in real time here he got her dna off the glass she was drinking from yeah yeah it's cool uh yeah so let's move on to the next scene we've talked a lot about this one where uh brother constant is this girl's name who was writing this creature earlier mm-hmm. on. Um, Brother Constant walks into a town on Savannah to put on a show and preach to them. Some of the locals start hassling her, telling her to leave, uh, take her foundation propaganda elsewhere, and they chase her, try to attack her, but then the high cleric shows up and dazzles them with a light and magic show while preaching the good news of Harry Selden. Um, 
and they're they're they get an alert and they're called away. I really liked uh, when she looks up at the cloud. You might have missed it, but like there's a cloaked ship. Like you just see the vague outline of a ship in this cloud, and she's mm. like, you know, uh, clearly they have a routine worked out where she works the crowd, gets them all worked up, and then he comes in with a razzle dazzle. Uh, light and technic show um yeah th- i mean these are people who believe in lightning gods and so sure. they kind of give them that flavor right they pretend to be gods he comes down in this shaft of light from an unknown source he's shooting off fireworks and creating crazy images essentially stuff that's magic and yet what he's preaching here is science and i think that's that's really interesting yeah, and there's they're showing some cracks, like you know they're suggesting that like the foundation has been able to be very successful spreading with this kind of religious, like the instead of like trying to the wean people off of their superstitions, just lean into it, you know, do like a Roman uh-huh. thing where it's like, oh, your God does this. Oh, actually, let's help you to understand that your God is actually our God. Yeah, you know, we got one of those too. <laughs> you, you, yeah, you, your three gods are our God, just in a trench coat, you know, and a, uh-huh. and a pair of uh, fake nose and glasses. Um. But, like, it seems like the locals are starting to wise up. Like, they're not as intimidated by this magician. Like, they're, like, you know, they're cowed briefly when she has the shield. But then they try to gang. They're like, well, we know how to disrupt this. And they just gang up on her and wear the shield down. And she drops one of her trinkets. And they Mm -hmm. very conspicuously show an old man from the village look at it thoughtfully. And I wonder if they're suggesting that the, the foundation is maintaining their you know kind of sway over these places by by solving their problems but keeping them proprietary hmm. and yeah. now like maybe this magical technology that gives them this power is going to be owned by the masses and now what you know what yeah. do you do I, I don't know if that's what they're going for but that's what i was thinking when they showed her drop that bracelet and the old man pick it up yeah makes a lot of sense uh, uh that crowd it, man they're fickle too like yeah <laughs> you get them chanting one moment cheering the next so yeah but I mean, it's also like that would be a hell of a performance if you saw as an agrarian mm-hmm. society, some man descend from a shaft of light and shoot fire out of a sentence and, and summon the galactic spirit and say he can cure your crops dying and uh, you can drive pests from the village. It's uh, and and then, uh, yeah, and you talk shit to him, he picks you up and throws you into a water tank. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it's also wild to know that this is the foundation. This is the thing that Harry Selden founded of, of reason and intellect, mm-hmm. and they're charlatans. And it's it's crazy because you know we we haven't seen we haven't seen foundation in 138 years. This is our first mm-hmm. glimpse of it in that period, and you start to wonder like what has foundation become. If this is the forward-facing foundation, what is it? And, and 138 years is a long time for something to change an organization. Four or like five this. generations, yeah, yeah. There could be a lot of drift, uh, and I think they do that very smartly. And I think later in the episode, when we see that this is essentially just recruitment, it mm-hmm. it starts to make it, it layers on it. You know, I talked about terminus um, and empire and everything being kind of characters in their own right and that to me is part of you know what makes that an interesting layered character is the different things we find out about them yeah um so let's i i guess go to the next part of the scene the vault has apparently opened and they've been called back to terminus the second coming of selden means the second crisis which worries this high cleric and they head back 
but he's also, you know, his faith has wavered a bit. <laughs> and I can't really say I blame him. He saw Harry as a kid, and that was amazing, and that carried him through the first hundred years of faith. <laughs> but you get past the centennial mark, and you start to think, is this guy ever coming back? I thought he was here to guide us. I thought he was going to help us. Yeah. And the fact that like, you know, when he comes, he he's kind of a prophet of doom. It's like it's it's one of those scary, exciting things like, oh, my God, this is happening. But also, oh, my God, this is happening. Yeah. And we also see how they've solved the lack of spacers. They just punch in an autopilot course and slap some patches and go to sleep. And I thought, you know, because I every time I finish one of these episodes watching two or three, you know, I've watched up the four. Uh, I put a list of like all the open questions and I'm like, you know, uh, your whole crew passes out during your jump trip. That seems very exploitable. Mm hmm. If you are a military force that has spacers that can stay awake during hyperspace jumps, that seems seems crazy exploitable. But uh, yeah. we'll see. We'll see if that any of that comes to pass. Uh, yeah, definitely. But I thought it was like super interesting the technology because this is all Invictus based, right? It's mm-hmm. just that they've found a way to nullify the deleterious effects, I guess. Yeah, of, you don't need an active navigator anymore. They've got some kind of computational yeah. base, and then so they just all they, they haven't mastered the art of oh hyperspace travel fucks you up physiologically, and sure they just they sleep through. It's just they don't need to have anybody awake. Uh huh. Not even the Empire has that technology because they rely on the spacers, the the specially genetically engineered humans that withstand the stresses of interdimensional travel. So yeah. they're actually more advanced than the Empire at this point. Yeah, in some ways. It'll be interesting to see if they develop travel, uh, faster than light travel, that they don't have to go to sleep for eventually. Because mm, that, that would be, would be probably truly better. advantageous. Yeah. Anyway, Salvor decides that Gail needs to try listening for her voice in her memory so she won't get lost in it. And she tries to enter her, her future memories here, but it's not working. So she decides to kill herself. Literally, she <laughs> removes all the air from this compartment and passes out. And then she ends up in her memory, is chased by someone she's going to refer to here in a bit as the mule. He grabs her and demands to know where the second foundation is. And then she hears Salvor's voice and returns to the present to tell them what she experienced. The mule's afraid of the second foundation. Um, and she's got this location of where she knows the second foundation is from the memory. It's a place called Ignis. And they look that up. Yeah, I uh, I thought it was kind of cool that like in in the um oh shoot what's their planet name Synex uh, Synex yeah that the word prophecy is like means water takes them so they've got this kind of like drowning uh, going into this altered state so they can do these prophetic trances and she uses the fire suppression system to do that. Um, we get hit fast and furious with a bunch of words we've probably never heard of. Uh, this 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 mule guy picks her up and wants to know where her mentalics are. Uh huh. And uh, wants to so can, see, can can look <laughs> into her mind and see that there's a younger version riding a shotgun within her mind, which is kind of wild. And ask if he's she's from the Age of Empire, which implies that we're post imperial in this timeline mm-hmm. um shouts out hober mallow who boy he's he's the he's he's the most wanted they're the most wanted person in the galaxy in the future in the present 
The vault's asking about him. The mule's asking about him. What the hell? Uh huh. And was... the other thing, the thing that I thought was wa- the wildest, is that there's a, a hand mark. Yes. I I don't know if this is the foundation. Uh, people uh, just kind of like playing fast and loose with like metaphor because like I. I, I can't figure out how that could possibly have worked. It's like in the matrix, like your, your body make your brain makes it real. Like how, how sure, do you form bruises and yeah. How do you was, put thumbprints on grabbing her neck as she was in this memory oh, and squeezing? Maybe, I, maybe, but it surprises Salvor. She's it does like, surprise neck. Salvor. Yeah. But it so, could, it could work if she grabbed her own neck. You could like, I could like, if you grabbed your neck so hard, it left bruises. I might still be like, God damn, Jim, <laughs> your, your neck. neck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What are you doing? Uh, maybe, Maybe, but I don't know. Barring that, it does seem like there is some physical connection to the memory she's in, which is wild. Here's a connection I came up with. I couldn't help but notice Brother Constance has these most arresting blue eyes. They're supernaturally blue. When the mule took his goggles off, I couldn't help but notice he had very similar glowing Mm -hmm. White Walker eyes. Yeah, very blue eyes. You saying Brother Constant becomes But but didn't mule. didn't didn't uh uh, uh um, Hugo wasn't that like a that 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 was one of the Anacreons or um the, the no this is the Thespians were were the ones that had the blue eyes. <laughs> Thespians, yeah. The Thespians, not Thespians. <laughs> The, the actors, the Thespians. Mm-hmm. The, uh, so I, I so I'm not sure I I, I see there's a connection here. But I'm not sure exactly what they're trying to say. Yeah, are they trying to say this don't is don't have enough information yet. Yeah, like are they like, um, yeah, like what are they trying to say here? Is they're hinting at something? Yeah, yeah. I wonder. I legitimately like, don't know. Haven't read that far ahead. So, um, was there not a theory that we had that maybe Hugo, uh, that maybe Salvor is pregnant with Hugo's child? Because that would be an interesting connection if, like, Brother Constance is a descendant of Salvor and Hugo, the same way that Salvor is descendant of Raish and Gale, and then the mule would also be related. And the fact that Hmm. he's got some kind of mental powers. I wonder if they're trying to imply there is some kind of actual relation. Mm -hmm. Or maybe it's the eyes, maybe the psychic, that's some kind of... Um, signal that they have psychic powers. It's the longest gestation period ever. 138 years. No, I'm not saying months. she's, I'm saying that she might be the grandchild of like, you know, like the descendants of Salvor oh, and Hugo. No, no, no. I mean, have... it, like if Salvor is pregnant, that's the longest gestation ever, right? <laughs> like, she's been in a cryo chamber. Uh huh. I know. Oh, but okay. 140 right. years later, yeah, yeah, yeah. A child is born to, uh, of Hugo's. Yeah. Like, how do you track that in the family tree, right? That's like, that's like what? 2000 like, what's this trimesters? Gap, right? <laughs> that's a long, yeah. I carried you in my <laughs> for a hundred and four. <laughs> Boy, yeah, yeah. Um, is uh, Gail gonna up... drown in every episode? Because this is number two, and she's <laughs> drowned twice. Right, right. Yeah. Um, maybe that would be kind of uh, funny. I so Ignis, the star system, or as planet, uh, literally means fire in Latin. Hmm relates to fiery things i wonder if that's going to um 
you know when it's we get there if fire that's actually gonna, gonna that's gonna be important yeah could be super interested to know more about mentalics and hover mallow but obviously and, and both salvor and gale get this kind of sight when they see this planet they they feel called to it there's something that's like mm-hmm. they, they, that's vibrating that they feel like this is the right path i wonder if that's i i wonder if that is something they can trust you know yeah we'll see uh it's also conspicuous that like there's a delay in gale detecting it whereas salvor feels it right away has to say you you feel that you hear that right and she says no and well listen yeah yeah i wonder if you yeah if you think about the way the future versus the past works if there's something to that i feel like i said i feel like there's a whole lot they're telling us in these scenes that is going to be clear maybe later on yeah i think you're right uh so then brother constant uh reunites with a friend who is worried about war they're on uh, terminus and the high cleric goes to a planning meeting for greeting Harry from the vault and there's a lot of contention on who should greet him Uh, we also find out that the director is Brother Constance's father uh, sets up some tension there yeah so like does she have two dads because when she she greets this one man right off the shuttle and calls him Pater which is, I think, uh, whatever language they're speaking for father. Oh, really? Then, I assumed it was just his name. Oh, maybe it is. Uh, like Peter, I thought it was that? some kind of version of like Padre or fa- or Pater. Because mm-hmm. like, I, I think there is one language that Pater is father. Um, maybe. I don't know. They they struck me more as like lovers or very close friends, something like that. See, I thought they were suggesting that maybe she could have two fathers and they maybe have some other way to. Re- but anyway, uh, I, I thought it, and, and that guy's clear as I mean, maybe she's a, he's a, her uncle or something. But yeah, mm-hmm. clearly, you know, the, the, the mayor is also or the director is also her her father or is her father for sure. Yeah. Yeah. She's calling him father specifically. Uh, I thought it was interesting to see the state of the foundation. You know, this is the second glimpse we get of it. And it shows us that, oh, it's not just a religious organization that goes out and evangelizes. There's a whole military wing of it. There's whole, yep. I guess we saw that briefly in the last uh, episode. We saw that there was a warden, um, but they've got this religious angle, which is for recruitment. Um, we know they've been told by Harry, they're going to go to war with the empire. I, I honestly am not sure about the high clerics critiques here. I think he feels marginalized and feels like they've abandoned Harry's mission but Harry specifically came out of the vault and said we're going to war with the Empire get ready Mm -hmm. and that seems to be what the director has done I mean preparing yourself militarily yeah that's what you should be doing in the 138 years right Mm -hmm. and there's so what is his objection to military base like setting up military bases on other planets that seems right on are we talking about Polly uh huh because Polly seems like that's what I'm saying. I was going to talk about like the fact that there's political factions like that. Yeah. You know, everyone's kind of singing from the same hymnal when it comes to like outward facing things. But internal like Polly was not a fan of turning everything into religion. And he thinks that this is a perversion. Oh. But he also in the same breath will say, I'm the high cleric 
and I right. should be the one talking to the press. Like you can see that like these these like you know, um, uh, and sometimes we're taught as children like the words don't mean anything. Sticks and stones break our bones. Blah blah blah. But like words actually <laughs> do have a lot of power, and it does shape the way we think about things. Mm-hmm. And I think they're trying to tell the story of like the foundation saying oh ho ho we're gonna do this magic and this religion as a way to like you know appeal to the masses but that decision over the course of few generations is drifting dangerously to where they're believing it yeah like, why wouldn't they i mean yeah and yeah, like, especially I, I, now I, I, that there's, there's the poly the head one is like kind of in on the joke but if he die if he if he has an overdose tomorrow with every shooting up or you know drinking like that's the last he might be the the, the only thing keeping uh the foundation even kind of sort of secular i get super strong scientology vibes from all this like there's the religious like xenu thetan bullshit angle right uh, and then behind that mask there's people who want to make a lot of money and take advantage of their power yeah that's what and it I feels like, like i like that when he, they talk about the prophet and and polly says oh, which way are you spelling that you know uh-huh. yeah it's, it's a great it's a great fucking line uh-huh uh and and polly's disappointment of being sidelined like we're using you for your political power, but we're cutting you out of the. You're the only person that's that that saw and talked to Selden or Harry last time, but fuck you, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 then also like the fact that this marshal or warden guy doesn't even do the thing he said he's going to do. Like you know, uh-huh. uh, doesn't even inter- did son of a bitch didn't even introduce me. No, nope. um, I thought that was interesting. The 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 fact the foundation is as we saw in the first season, somewhat divided about which way it should go. Yeah, and there's a lot of, um, you know, with that profit line, there's a lot of insinuation about personal gain versus, uh, you know, supporting the foundation itself. Yeah. And I, I I don't feel like we've gotten a great taste of that yet. I don't see the director as necessarily being out for his own gain. Uh, I, Yeah, maybe this office looks like Terminus a little bit, or it looks like Trantor a little bit, but also look, you need a place to meet. You need this kind of stuff. I don't know what the other people's houses look like, you know? Maybe it's all paved in gold. Mm. Uh, yeah, so I, I'm looking forward to seeing more of that, I guess. The the sure. personal versus, uh, you know, for the foundation kind of thing. Anyway, everybody goes out to the vault, and the warden gives a speech about how awesome it is that he gets to be the one to greet Harry, and then his body is lifted into the air and charred to a cinder as he shouts, Hober Mallow, bring me, get Hober Mallow. Uh, and nobody has any idea who he's talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I like how like everybody's like, who? Because I was like, yeah, who is this Hober Mallow? And, and the show wants us to be thinking about it. But it's so funny the way Polly is so petty about this because he's like when, you know, this guy says, I will lead you whither the prophet leads us. And he's like this fucking chode saying whither he didn't even introduce me. <laughs> and then he gets lifted in the air and everybody yeah. thinks this is like you can see the warden starting to believe like, oh, I yeah, I've been ex- I've been chosen by the prophet. And then he fucking burst into flames in the most painful way possible. I don't know why. <sighs> I don't know, because I, I like I, I kind of like when I was watching it. I don't know something about this warden made me think that he's just a just this massive dick. Uh-huh. There's, I have no reason to believe that, you know. 
this yeah. drunken old man has convinced me with like three words that this guy is evil to the fact that I'm like, yeah, burn motherfucker. He did. I don't know if he did anything wrong, mm-hmm. but uh, that's the other thing. It's like, yeah, what the hell uh, uh, is Harry doing in there? Why is he burning random people? Uh, I this don't know, is, man. Like, if you want to talk to this Hober guy, just come out and be like, uh, yeah, I want to talk to this Hober guy. Uh, I'll wait and while you're finding him. Why is he got to fucking burn this dude alive? Mm-hmm. And clearly, like, um, the warden's experiencing some kind of visions during this. You know, he's... I don't think he knows Hober Mallow either. So no. Harry's doing something to this guy beyond just burning him alive. He's using him as a mouthpiece. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be... Um... But yeah, but also, you know, Harry might be thinking, well, if they're expecting a vengeful God, then I'll give him a fucking vengeful God. Yeah, maybe he is trying to establish himself more as a God than maybe a if the second because fa- that's the question is like maybe the second foundation is around the the maybe they're behind the religious curve. Like Harry's like, you guys mm-hmm. are still pretending you should be true believers by now, but. That's yeah. a widely different Harry than the one that wanted to kill himself before he got too big of a religious following. But it's all it's all timing and nudging and tweaking when it comes to psychohistory, isn't it? Let me ask you this. Is it possible that the second Foundation Harry is worried about the first Foundation Harry being the guy who the power is going to go to his head? Could this be a flash of that? Not Are not you, the people in the foundation, but Harry himself at that foundation. If you're suggesting that there is like a struggle for Harry supremacy, Selden supremacy, <laughs> I don't know, but that's a fucking great concept. If the two yeah. artificial copies of Harry Selden start coming up with a doctrinal war, uh-huh. I would I I would fucking love that. That would be pretty cool to explore. I agree. Uh, the other thing I like about this is you see the black vault turn into this kind of uh, scaffolding, this golden scaffolding, yeah, um, the golden framework that we mm-hmm. saw last season. Mm-hmm. And if you notice, the pendants around the clerics' necks are all the shape of that, right? Of course, yeah, yeah. the The, the shape of the open vault, not the closed vault. Mm-hmm. Uh, then, in the final scene here, we see Salvor wake to find Gale worrying that they're making a huge mistake, and she says that's because I saw your dead body in my vision and then we've got to wonder you know is this a vision that can be avoided is this a certain vision of the future can they be on a different path and still be on a good path uh who knows you know we joked in the preview coverage about like how are they going to keep because it's you know you could keep Klingon around you know we we talked about last season like you know by third season fourth season uh uh or is Lee Pace going to have like a Quasimodo hunchback and three mm-hmm. eyes and two toes you know <laughs> six toes on each foot like what what's going to look but like we're like well what, what are they going to do with Gale and Salvor are they just going to like jump in a cryopod at the end of each season but like the I think this episode itself raise that possibility because Gail's like how am I going to project myself a hundred years into the future I'll be dead and he's like well you slept through one century what I'm like <laughs> yeah. holy shit and then Gail and then Salvor's there too they're a hundred percent going to get into a cryo because yeah. they don't even uh, well I guess Gail it could be some kind of residual self-image bullshit but yeah, Salvor's laying Salvor. there on the ground does not look appreciably older like maybe Agreed. she's five ten years older but she doesn't look like she's in even middle aged so mm-hmm. It's going to be a plot point that these guys are going to jump into 
another cryo yeah. chamber i love it end of every season get them in the cryopod gail drowns every episode yeah uh, yeah harry gets a little bit crazier because he has to spin the uh-huh. he's like no don't put that and then he goes through another hundred years of uh uh not deathless sleep and and lee pace puts on 30 pounds of fat every at the end of every season i want to <laughs> see sloth lee pace i want to see yeah that guy you know fat thor uh yeah levels depressed, of pace. just just drinking paps blue ribbon uh-huh. on the throne <laughs> day and dusk both aghast yeah uh, show me that lee pace i like i know he can work out a lot i've seen him do it can he pack on the pounds in another yeah. way though yeah you can sculpt that body can you deface it lee that's what right. we want to know <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, I bet they're thinking that too. I bet they're going to have a lot of fun with the, with the various versions of uh, Brother Day. Yeah, I am curious because, like, uh, I wonder when the next uh, Flash Forward will be. Because we went through a couple of dynasties last year yeah. too, so uh-huh. it could be that we go through a few this one too. Uh, yeah, I'm. I can't. I'm looking forward to seeing where this mystery uh, leads. Lots of uh, names. This Hober guy. We got the Rios guy. There's going to be a lot of people we're going to be meeting in the next few weeks. are going to be important, and I, I can't wait. I just want to say there's also a pretty good chance that Lee Pace will be down for that. Did you know, I, I was listening to the official cast, and David Goyer was saying that they wrote the scene at the beginning of, of episode one, the, the fight scene with the assassins, where Lee Pace was in a robe the entire time. And Lee came up to him and said, do you mind if I do this scene naked? I think it <laughs> would be. Out. I think it would be no, better. No, no, no. Yeah, and David <laughs> said, uh, "I was hoping you would say that because I was secretly thinking it." Got to putty up your belly button, but sure. No, right. I. It's, yeah. So yeah, I could. Man, Lee Pace will be down for it. Whatever they do with him, that'll be cool. Do you mind if I just do this naked? Can I just do all the scenes <laughs> naked? They probably just kind of work better. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the fourth time he asked that about a scene, David was like, no, we really need you to wear clothes this scene. Yeah, Lee, come yeah on. it's important. We we're running out of putty. Uh, we ran out of putty in the, bu- the belly button budget. <laughs> yeah. The all important triple B uh, mm-hmm. b- below the line item. You got to watch those. Uh, is there anything else we want to talk about? Get, uh, get hikes so. for episode three. Uh, what do you have to say? We would like to know. Send that feedback into foundation at baldmove.com. You're listening to Foundation and Podcast. We'll be right back. And we're back. Respect and enjoy the podcast. We do have feedback for this week. Uh, first up is Eric. He says, I was wondering about the technological advancements. My question is, do you think that 134 years of cryo-freeze would basically render you useless due to how far you would advance? Are technological advancements going to keep at the same rate they do today, or will they level off eventually? Imagine taking someone from 10 BC and putting them in the year 1900. I don't think it would be that big of a shock, besides maybe the sheer size of structures that were built. And will still power most farm equipment and transportation. Local businesses is where you get uh, most things you need to survive. Not that big of a change, but take someone from 1900 and put them in 2023, it'd be unrecognizable. So 134 years past their current year, would the advancements be that exponential? Jim, you got a feeling about the level of technological progress in the Foundation universe? I mean, it's a good question. Um, 
it's tough for me to tell in this show because so much of the technology we see at the beginning of the show seems like magic to me that it's hard to tell where you know what tech they have now 130 something years later that they couldn't have mustered at the beginning of the show mm-hmm. right could they have built the rings around Trantor probably I mean they had a fancy space elevator so maybe but like yeah it, it becomes harder for me to tell because everything seems a little magical my take on it is like this is something in Star Wars where it's like you get to a period of technological advancement where things start to slow down like you know hyperdrive is invented 10,000 years ago in the old republic and hyperdrive is still used 10,000 years later and it you know maybe it's a little bit faster a little bit more reliable but like i have a feeling that if you took a a, a hyperdrive from a thousand years ago and you put Han and Chewie in front of it, they would be able to figure it out. In much the same way that, like, you used an example from 1900 to 2023. I think that's a pretty extreme example. But, like, I'm very mm-hmm. convinced you could go back to 2000 BC, grab a couple of laborers from Egypt, and tell, put them on, like, a um, 1080 era Roman aqueduct and say go to work boys and they would instantly or within you know again you'd, you'd have to have the whole ancient egyptian language thing but if you could explain to them the concepts they would mm-hmm. quickly be able to grasp what they were doing and how they need to do it and start using their bill but you take the same you know you like you take a locomotive operator from 1890s and you put him in a nuclear reactor and be like hey this is essentially a steam boiler he would have no fucking clue what even principles are at work powering the device let alone how to like make it make energy um yeah and i think that's the the core of the question here is have we so fundamentally mastered all the concepts of you know the the laws of physics that the advancements don't come as fast at some point or is it forever this snowball that just keeps picking up speed and mass I always think it's got to be the former because eventually, like, if you got all the fundamental forces of the universe, you, know, you got them on equations and you know them forward and backward and you can solve for X, that's kind of what drives innovation, it seems to me, you know, and that like, we are living in a couple a hundred years of extremely fast progress, but like that will mm-hmm. have to slow because... I think in universe, like Invictus, they describe that as an ancient, like being from hundreds, yeah. maybe even pre-Cleonic dynasty. And mm-hmm. obviously the engineers at a on a border world are able to fix that thing up and copy it. Um, mm-hmm. I think that shows the level of like what we call a technological stagnation. That's like the Egyptian being able to work on a Roman uh, uh, aqueduct despite being 3,000 years apart in time, you know? Right. Um yeah, so you have I, maybe I so. some some levels that you hit, then you plateau for a while, and yeah. then some discovery is made about fundamental core principles, and then boom, there's another explosion of development. I'd even think like maybe like from an art or culture perspective, you might see very dated in terms of like the way you speak, but like it's interesting that you've got this Cleonic dynasty maybe putting the brakes on that kind of advancement that like you've got mm-hmm a particular taste that is molding things and influencing things. And it's like, these guys are dressed the same and they have everything. I wonder if that's like that, like everything in the galaxy is stagnating. That's one of the things that Mm -hmm. uh, Harry Seldon was talking about. Like, you know, 
if if you want to slow down the decline of the empire, fucking get rid of your di- genetic dynasty. So I, 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 this has been this has been the case in a lot of different science fiction worlds. The idea that technology will get to a, a point where it's so good and people have so mastered the underlying levels that it becomes commodified and just kind of state yeah. you know like once you can travel three thousand times fast the speed of light you know it's not like next year you'll travel six thousand it's going to be you know three thousand and one <laughs> three thousand and two and it'll take 50 60 years to get those efficiencies right and in star wars it was droids the level of c3po and r2d2 <laughs> can yeah. barely trundle across a desert <laughs> right and they're just going to stay there the for uh mm-hmm. thousands of years yep so I hope that answers your question, Eric. I think it's a it's an interesting one. Um, mm-hmm. Rebecca says, I'm just getting caught up with Foundation Season 1 and have a couple of observations. Uh, the name of the ship Invictus seems to be an homage to the poem Invictus by William Ernest Henley, part of which reads, It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishment the scroll. I am master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. The religious manifestations of the mother, the crone, etc., the echo, the religions of Game of Thrones, and I also see echoes of Antigone and Greek tragedy and empire in a speech at the end about the branch that will bend but won't not break, or that won't bend will break. Wow, the won't bend will break. Mm-hmm. Haman tells Creon, pretty close to Cleon, right, that the tree won't bend; it will be ripped up by the roots and all, bend or break. I appreciate seeing that these writers are well educated, and it underscores that we're getting really good storytelling. Yeah, I think that it is self-evident if you've looked at, uh, you know, the foundation and, uh, you know, I know uh, David Goyer is not the only person in the writing's room, um, but like mm-hmm. you look at his history of work, there's seems like they're they're, they're extremely well-read and, yeah, you know, I don't think literary these things, I don't think these things are an accident and I think they're taking what is a good framework of Asimov's tale and updating it uh, in very smart ways. Um, And yeah, we're we're getting all that on the screen. So I I couldn't agree more, Rebecca. This marriage seems like maybe the attempt to bend, but you know, the roots are coming up. So (laughs) the bending doesn't really help. Right. And uh, as far as breaking, we know that's Demerzel's domain so Mm, yeah al says i am the only person i know that watches this show i don't have many people to talk about bonkers Mm. science fiction concepts that are often showcased in foundation i was wondering if you could discuss how you would describe foundation to friends that could become potential viewers the best i've come up with is game of thrones in space but i feel even this is very surface surface level and not a great description Mm mm-hmm it's the perfect description for the expanse, but I agree it's not yeah. quite it for foundation. It's that's part of what foundation is doing because it loves that you know microcosm of drama there within the Cleonic dynasty, but there's the so much more. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. It's tough. I, it's always been tough to describe even what Asimov's work on this was, even those those books. Um, I think the closest we can get is like the characters are not the people in it, but the societies. Um, and those are the things you should be looking to for the dramatic effect that most shows go with for a single character. Yeah, I I feel like that the 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 pitch of this show, which is 
In the far future, a man discovers a mathematical principle that can perfectly predict human behavior and says that the galactic empire that's lasted for 10,000 years is going to fall essentially tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And the only way to reduce the harm is to follow my very convoluted plan to usher uh, mankind through this this dark age. Mm -hmm. I I like that's that's it, man. Like you're either like hooked mm-hmm. by that and fascinated by it or you're not and i think the, the problem is just a lot of people aren't there's you know i've got a friend he's a very dear friend of mine hmm. and i love talking to him about shit like breaking bad i love talking to him about stuff like the wire but like anything that he quote unquote requires him using his imagination he just doesn't care about and right. you know he's like i just i like i just think the world is already fascinating enough with all the stories you can tell within it that like the second that people start talking about drag dragons and magic and spaceships i like who the fuck cares you know i feel him i just i i, I know one it less makes objection, sense. right with the, the sci-fi stuff i allow right. for that but because all about relatability stuff. it's like the same reason uh-huh. like you know people are always surprised like why i didn't like succession it's like i just can't relate i just like because i every yeah, time yeah. i start becoming aware of the i just like just go to fucking therapy you asshole who cares what right? takes over you're all going to be so richer than any pharaoh that i've ever read about so your, your problems are so far removed from my problems that i cannot understand why you are freaking out about them so i get it if you're talking about cloned emperors and people using the force so like that's like yeah the exact same thing it's like this is so far yeah. removed from my day-to-day experience but like so like yeah if you're not into science fiction fantasy it's it's a hard sell but like that idea of like what if you could predict history and you have to just take it on this word of this crazy guy that this is the way to go. And like the other thing mm-hmm. is like, you know, like if you're a if you're a, a thinking person, you start thinking, oh, my God, like, you know, how would society work and how would they take that? And how would the government take that? And like there's like that's the that's the the shit that I'm really interested in. That's a drama I'm really interested in, you know? Yeah. Uh, the fact that we get this juicy Cleonic stuff is even a, is is a bonus. You know, the fact that they mm. have spent so much time and effort on how you can make relatable antagonists kind of like span hundreds of years. Because that's the other thing, I guess, mm-hmm. is when to go back to the pitch, I'd say, and this story is going to take place over the course of hundreds, if not thousands, of years. Like, just how do you tell a story like that? Um, yeah, that makes me nervous as a reader because, like, I or, or a watcher because I want to connect with people in this story, and I don't see a way to do that in a story that spans longer than human lifetimes, significantly yeah. longer than human lifetimes. Yeah. Uh, so, so I get a little nervous when I hear that, but I think they're doing a good job, and also th- that's why I'm trying to like say the characters are not necessarily the thing to watch here. The drama comes from the bigger picture stuff and it's Mm. such a huge swing it's unlike anything else that you're going to read in that regard yeah yeah and but that's the thing if like they're not into that science fiction fantasy aspect then the other stuff is just not it's just not going to hook you know Uh, the fact that this like you could tell them like oh this is you know the the roots of this go back to you know Asimov's Foundation series. You know if if you like Star Wars or Dune or Warhammer, anything with the Galactic Empire, <laughs> this is the thing that this is the first guy to thought up that concept. You know, yeah. Um, so there's a lot of reasons to recommend it, but like the core thing is like you just might not have enough nerds in your life, Al. In which case, sure. you need to go find some find some more nerds, or you know we we'll be your nerd friends. Uh, week to week watch the foundation. I mean, that's all. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> as why our jobs actually work. So, uh, but I, I feel you. It's a tough one to because, like you know, foundation like it expanse is Game of Thrones of space. That's an easy pitch, but also it's yeah. a little bit more relatable because it's so close to us. The lot of same thing. Like we're recognizably human desires and thoughts and foibles whereas you know foundation it, it's still that but also mm-hmm. you know it's it's the foibles of a clone of a 16th generation clone you know right those are still human they're still foibly for sure but relatable eh. uh oh this is a good question nick from philly uh, first off, he says, during your uh, preview pod for Foundation last week, Jim stated how visually amazing season one was. It took only five minutes for the show to blow me away. The sex slash melee battle scene with Cleon, absolutely amazing visually and amazingly well choreographed as well. I'm so fucking in with this show. Apple definitely knows how to do sci-fi. Uh, mm-hmm. Triple exclamation mark on that, but I think it's warranted because, yes, Apple TV has become the sci-fi aficionado's Yep. Uh, Haven and home. Like, it's got all the best stuff, it feels like. I think there was a minute where HBO and Netflix were trying to do that, but they didn't do it as successfully, in my opinion, as Apple has done it. They've got like three, four, five shows that are just killing it. I mean, For All Mankind, Foundation, Severance. Yeah. Yeah. Those are just big ones we're talking about. Silo. Silo now. Yeah. Um, where like you know Amazon when they got the Expanse, I thought they would be the ones that are going to do the right. big sci-fi stuff, but they just you know <laughs> they, they do the they do sci-fi fantasy, but um, yeah, mm-hmm. like apples, it seems like that's what one of the things they're specializing in. Uh, my question for you is this: If you guys were forced to live in the Foundation universe, would you be Foundation or an Empire sympathizer? Ooh. <laughs> probably be neither probably be somebody who's trying to live their life and just being like leave me alone empire i got my own thoughts and opinions on things i don't need you button in but i don't think i would necessarily be down with foundation either because not many people know about foundation like am i being sent on am i a selden acolyte who's being sent to terminus and now I have to choose a side because I feel like once once you go to foundation, uh, you're already you've chosen your side, right? Yeah. I just I just be a dude. That's what I. Would yeah, I think be. you're getting at is that we. It's like it's like asking somebody if you would be on the wrong or right side of history, right? Or you you know like uh, and the reality is if you're in the history, like you are such a. And this is something the show delves into. You are such a product of your genetics and the way you were raised, the information that you were fed that like the reality is like, you know, it's like this is a question like if you were a German in 1930, yikes, would you have taken the stand against the growing like and we all want to say we would. Mm-hmm. But the reality is the majority of us probably would have turned out like every other German where it's like, yeah, if you, you know, if you known more about this, you've been uncomfortable, but like also fuck those French people and, and the English and, you know, it's like, it's, it's your, your product of the environment you grow up in. And I imagine if I grew up in like the core of the empire, I would be, uh, you know, addicted to the affluence and the, uh, affluence and the influence 
and I would protect my position and anyone that would probably try to point out to the rougher things happen on the edge of the galaxy. I would be highly defensive and not want to take any, you know, uh, acknowledgement that I have a role in those people's hardships because that would make me feel bad. Just the same shit we do today. Right. I mean, honestly, yeah, if you live on Twitter, in- like throwing shade at Empire, but also I don't think I'd be all on board with Foundation either. I don't know. Honestly, if you are on the internet and comprehending English in the year 2023, you probably are already tied to a hegemonic empire that's mm-hmm. done some bad shit that you have, that you probably live a remarkably uh, conflict-free life uh, and don't think much about that, exactly. those aspects of it, right? Yeah. So it's like, what do you, you know, so I, and I, and I'm a, I'm a person that's like, you know, I... <laughs> I guess I try to be aware and speak about like, what am I really doing? What am I really doing mm-hmm. to, to to make things better on a globe? So it's like, yeah, you'd probably, you'd probably be wherever you're at. You'd be well entrenched in that position and not much would be able to move you out of it. Uh, I'm trying to taint the dynastic bloodline. That's what I'm doing in my spare time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to get uh, in there and just mess, mess it all genetically up. Genetically or like through genetically. sexually? Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's the only mechanism I have to taint it genetically. Just walking so. through to pleasure gardens naked and just hoping uh, something will happen or. Yeah. See anything you like? <laughs> uh, Andy they never says, do. They never do. And I don't understand that, why. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's your plan to bring them down, huh? Just to put, just to, just put yourself out there. Yep. Andy says, hey guys, I wrote in near the end of last season to ask, how could Dimmerzel not be noticing the difference in Dawn from the very beginning, having raised them all before? My theory is that Dimmerzel was responsible for adulterating the Klingon line, and this season two opener has me more convinced than ever that Dimmerzel is behind all the nefarious attacks on the Empire. She has all the access. Perhaps it's all part of the original plan to upend this Empire after so many iterations, or maybe it was left for her to decide by Klingon the first. He's like, do me a solid of 400 years and end this shit gracefully if it gets out of hand or strays hmm. from her vision. Or maybe she made that decision on her own somewhere, perhaps when the sky bridge fell. It gnaws on me how completely convinced everyone is of Demerzel's allegiance, but if she's powerful as we were led to believe, how are these many infiltrations occurring and continuing? She has to be in on it, all of it. Day says Demerzel initiated their entanglement. Not since Klingon 1 and this one is implementing a new order too. I find it all shady as fuck. Jim, your thoughts? This, oh, this is super interesting. Um, especially given the idea that she wasn't created specifically for the task of keeping Empire going. She was kind of co-opted into it, right? She existed well before the Cleonic Dynasty. I think she existed before the fucking Galactic Empire. Yeah. I think yeah. that they 11, have 11,000 expre- years old. She is at least a thousand years older. Maybe it was the Galactic mm-hmm. Empire, eight thousand or ten thousand. Uh, but it doesn't she's, matter. She's, she's older than it. Yeah, yeah. She's four digits older than the Galactic Empire. So you think she could have allegiances so yes. ancient and so arcane that we don't even know? And the old and that there was like, why are people so convinced? Because the people that know that she's a robot are under the impression that she is under this ironclad lock of these robotic rules that Asimov and you know they're not going to say this on the show because I don't I literally mm-hmm. think they don't have rights to it. But like if you know anything about Asimov robotics they have these laws that they've kind of sketched at at the show and they think that like Demerzel is incapable of breaking these. But if you've paid attention in season 1 you can see where Demerzel yep. is at the bending if not breaking point of a lot of her different rules. So like and I think open that's to a interpretation. 
I think that's a false sense of confidence that he have. And I think one of the things we're going to appreciate huh. is, is that, you know, by before all this is, is all said and done and over. It's crazy that I haven't even considered that and that it takes an email to, to make me think of like oh, a fundamental question, I think. Is yeah. Demerzel as loyal as it seems? Because I always took it for granted. Yeah. And yeah. Um the show kind of like, you know, makes you think that way because like they always say that she's unquestionably loyal to the Empire. Like that's the one thing that no one ever questions. Like even in but this But they say it. They, they this just episode say where it. you that got mean day you, you got days you know uh the doubting all of his brothers and putting him through memory scans and scrutinizing his mm-hmm. uh, bride to be like no one ever, ever, ever thinks about Demerzel. Yeah. And it's easy to point the finger at Dawn and say, well, he has the most to lose, but is that true? Maybe yeah. Demerzel has more to lose. Honestly, the more I think about it, cause I, I thought about a lot about like, you know, is Cleon respecting the agency of Demerzel and their sexual relationship. But I, for, you know, sometimes you forget about the fact of how old and ancient and powerful she is. Mm-hmm. And the fact that like, yeah, maybe in this, you know, like I, I think of it in terms of like, well, she can't disobey. She's effectual, effectively a slave and the sex slave is even, you know, that's like, that's another level of distaste beyond just regular, like regular slavery for most people. So it's like, oh, she's clearly she, the one down in this position, but is she? Right, she can she can technically disobey. I mean, Day last season did not want her to kill yeah. uh the Dawn that had been, you know, corrupted. But yeah. she did. Even if you're saying she's loyal to Empire the Capital E, that's three different uh-huh. people, sometimes three different competing desires and wishes. And... Right, because Dusk wanted him killed. So Right. Right, and yeah, if do Dust doesn't to? want to step into tele, we we talked about what happened. So yeah, no, there's um, I mean it's it's that's what's that's what's so interesting about science fiction because a lot of like if if this was a conventional show, a lot of these answers would be well, it's just it is what it is on the face of it. But like mm-hmm. when you got thirteen thousand year old robots running around, um, <laughs> that have had who knows what life experiences, religious experiences, mm-hmm. we found out last season. Mm-hmm. Um, it gets a lot more interesting, which you know I I find uh you know, makes all the other things you're trying to talk about uh, land a lot better too. So yeah, a lot of people had a couple of feedbacks this week, you know, not sure why, but I'm, I'm feeling like there's something no good uh, going on at Dimmerzel, which again, I mean, that look at the Empress, right? Like that, that, yeah, that really threw me for a second. Yeah. And we're saying she's up to no good. Like if just because she's maybe agitating, it's imp- that might be what a good person would do agitate against the empire so uh cyrus says i've not read any books i have no advanced knowledge of the plot but with uh goyer playing jazz the story it probably matters less nevertheless i formulated two theories from the first two or i'm sorry from the first episode of the season theory the first i wonder if dimmerzel is going off what harry said about the way the klingons could slow down the impending darkness that he was predicting and that was for the Cleons could put an end to the uh, genetic dynasty. I wonder if she is behind Day's plan to marry and produce progeny the more conventional way, using her intimate relationship with him to push that agenda. Is Demerzel secretly working with Harry and the Foundation to slow down the upcoming darkness, or perhaps to give Foundation the time they need, or perhaps as a ploy to slow the end of the Empire based on what Harry has mentioned? 
What do you think about that? Do you think Demerzel is secretly working with Harry in the Foundation? It's possible, but I'm trying to think because Harry... Harry has not been alive long enough, I think, to influence her ultimate goal. He's not been alive as long as the Empire has been around. Uh, it, It seems like he does not have enough influence or contact within Empire to make that reality, but we don't know about the, I guess, the history of Demerzel enough to know. I think it's interesting with Demerzel and the Foundation, as I understand it, is, you know, psychohistory predicts human behavior. Mm-hmm. If you do She's have a cybernetic in, uh, uh, organism that is secretly manipulating things at the very top, mm-hmm. did he account for that? Right. Or is this another thing? history predict that? Like, like Gale's psychic premonitions that are going to be a wrench in his, his, his plan going forward. It's possible. Um, it also could be that like they're not working directly together, but Demerzel's a thinking, feeling being of her own. She could take a look at the psychohistory and decided for herself that like or maybe there's something to this, and I need, you know, because the zeroth law of robotics is that uh, a robot cannot, by its action or interaction, threaten the security of the human species at large, you know, human civilization. So she might interpret yeah. it as a zeroth law to not go along with the, even though the Harry's not aware of her cooperation. Mm-hmm. And again, to the extent that he was aware or not aware, like that's interesting to see how that plays back into the prime radiant too, his calculations. Yeah. And psycho history, you know, is a tool of a very short lived being to try to extrapolate on the future. Whereas Demerzel's 11,000 years old. She's seen so yeah. much shit she has lived history for the last mm-hmm. eleven thousand years she might be she might not need psychohistory as a tool just her own accumulated knowledge and understanding of humanity to kind of see that oh yeah the downfall is inevitable and we can sort of usher in something new uh second theory harry and the radiant may not care about the foundation on terminus from last season we knew that his conversation with gail uh, that he was going to begin a second foundation in secret on Helicon. This is the Harry that Gale trapped in Radiant. Maybe Harry's plan was to always have the foundation on Terminus be out in the open and incur the wrath of the Empire. He thought the Empire's attack on the foundation was inevitable. The friends of the foundation on Terminus would rally to the cause of Harry when they find the existence of a secret foundation on Helicon, at which point the foundation would be too powerful to be stopped by Empire. If true, Harry and the Prime Radiant may not care about the fate of the people on Terminus, which may be in opposition from the goals of Gale and Salvor. Could we have a Harry from the Vault versus Harry from the Radiant situation? Um, yeah, this episode, of... I think, kind of like reveals that some of this stuff is, you know, mm-hmm. like, like he clearly sees the First Foundation as a sacrificial lightning rod or anode. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a good comparison. And that all the people are not, you know, like all the people in, in, in the plot are not very important to him. Like he is looking at big picture things. Yeah. Um, I, I do like the idea. We, we, we played with this in the podcast ourselves. The idea that you've got two different Harry's mm-hmm. that might be diametrically opposed. Because the other thing is, like, do you tell the Harry? I guess the Harry in the vault has to know the plan. He has to. Yeah, yeah, because the because he the second Harry spawned off of the first Harry. So you, I guess, like I now that I think about it, is could I buy that Harry 
Well, the 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 Harry on, yeah, you're well, okay. Yeah, because the Harry on Terminus is literally made from his body, presumably his incorporating his thoughts. Uh huh. And the Terminus, the the Harry that's on the second foundation was an incomplete backup from Harry at the moment of his death. So yeah, I guess if it turns out later that one of them doesn't know something the other one does, I would hope that they explain that somehow. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, at the point of their departure, they should essentially maybe you would argue that the no, the Harry the Vault wouldn't even know more. Like at most, he would have a little bit more complete knowledge of his death. Okay, maybe. I don't think the one. I don't think any any of the Harrys could have secrets from each other when they went into their respective containers. Now, afterwards, there's all kinds of times of drift, but I think they went into their substrate of one purpose. Yeah, so the Harry in the vault must know about the second foundation. Is I think is what you're getting at, right? And, but he's trusting himself not to reveal that to the first foundation. Yeah, but then you've got the complication of both Harrys could be insane because of time spent, True. because of the time scales we're dealing with and the nature of their being now. Or they just change their minds, you know? Like sure. new shit comes <laughs> to light. Saw it and... isn't going well. We yeah, gotta just cancel, abort the mission. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, there, there's a, a lot of places they could take the story. I'm kind of curious to see which way we'll go. Yeah, That's going to wrap up for feedback this week, which will bring our episode to a close. Once again, that's foundationofbaldmove.com. That's how you get all your feedback in to us for consideration. Uh, we can be followed at damn near every social media, at Bald Move. TikTok is a stubborn one. We're baldest move there. Uh, the other thing you can do is uh, support us at support.baldmove.com. It's not just good feelings. You don't just get the good feelings of, of keeping us podcasting, but you get uh, ad-free feeds, uh, bonus episodes of podcasts, uh, off the clock where we talk about a bunch of TV and movies that we're not talking about on our main podcast, Lunch with Jim and Aaron, tons of extra bonus features. Check that out at support.baldmove.com. That's going to do it this week for us here at Foundation and Podcast. Until next week, I'm your host, Aaron. And I'm Jim. Respect and enjoy the podcast. Bye.